Elevate 150 Financial Checkups at Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Here's how it works. Go online and schedule a 30-minute phone call. They'll guide you through your credit report to find ways to improve your financial health. Then they'll send $150 in your name to Redeemer Radio. For information, visit NotreDameFCU.com slash elevate. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame FCU. Church Life Today is a production of Spoke Street Media and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and our listeners. Christ did not rise from the dead so we could gorge ourselves on marshmallow peeps. Gorging is an act of singular enjoyment, and honestly, it only takes a moment to look around our world to see how disastrous it is when people just fill themselves with what they want. Besides, it would be just gross if all we wanted was to be stuffed with marshmallow peeps. The true measure of Easter joy is the degree to which the disciples of the risen Lord indulge in the good of others. The celebration of Easter is ordered to communion, so much so that Easter works centrifugally through Christ's disciples. We move the joy outwards. Using Pope Francis's beloved term, Easter is the season for missionary disciples. The heart of the mission is Christ. The source of the mission is his resurrection, and the power of the mission is the Holy Spirit he imparts to us. With this mission, we, his disciples, bring him to others and work to unite all in him. Friends, this is a special episode of Church Life Today. Only very rarely do I create an episode without a guest, but when I do, it is usually to offer a special seasonal episode like this one where I try to offer a series of reflections that hopefully are of some interest or use to you in your prayer or in your life or your imagination. So today, I want to spend this time with you asking a question. How do we embrace and live out the mission of Easter? I think the short answer is something like this. By heeding the gospel and then exercising our own missionary creativity to become the disciples Christ frees us to be. So what I want to do is offer some help for us to explore this more fully by talking about four ways to fulfill our Easter mission. And I'll take those four ways, one each, from the four Gospels. I'm Leonard DiLorenzo. This is Church Life Today, a production of the McGrath Institute for Church Life and the Spoke Street Media Network. Let's get to it. The first way to fulfill our Easter mission comes from the Gospel of Matthew. It is to proclaim and teach. Do you know what is the last thing we hear about the disciples in the Gospel of Matthew? It's actually pretty surprising. Here it is. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. That's chapter 28, verses 16 and 17. The last thing said about the disciples is that some doubted. To be clear, 
They are seeing Jesus in the light of the resurrection. This is the risen Christ. They worshiped and some doubted. What did they doubt? Well, the text doesn't say because Jesus has the last word in the Gospel of Matthew. Here's what he says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the close of the age. There is a peculiar dissonance at the end of this gospel when we think about it. Some of the 11 apostles are doubting, and instead of correcting or even addressing their doubt, Jesus instead impresses on them the Great Commission. One would think that the prerequisite for this commission would be faith without doubt. After all, these disciples are actually looking upon the risen Christ. They are his witnesses. And yet, perhaps this isn't so peculiar after all. What we see here is what many of us feel now. And that, it seems, is original to Christianity. Some doubt, even in the midst of joy, even in Easter. Some doubt, even when Christ appears to us, as in the Eucharist. Some doubt, even and including some of the apostles. It is to ones such as these, doubting apostles, we ourselves, that the Lord Jesus entrusts the mission of the church. The proclamation of the resurrection goes through doubting believers and believing doubters. Both are called to be missionary disciples. In Christianity, believing does not always come before doing. Oftentimes, doing is part of coming to belief. You know, earlier in this same gospel, Matthew's, Jesus proclaims that, quote, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my disciple. In the parallel episode in the gospel of Luke, he says that his disciples are, quote, those who hear the word of God and do it. But as he had just taught his disciples in the Gospel of Luke, in the parable of the sower, the only ones who truly hear his words are those who allow it to sink in and bear fruit in their lives. You know you are a disciple by the fruit. That's the proof that you've truly heard the word of God. So it might be just as well to interpret Jesus as saying that his disciples are those who hear the word of God by acting on it. If in Easter, then, you do not feel belief and joy welling up within you, then make Easter a time of commitment. That is, make commitments like someone who does believe in full, even if you don't. And if you are filled with belief and joy in Easter, thanks be to God, then make Easter a time of commitment nonetheless, because without the action, the belief will not bear fruit. Jesus knows his disciples by their fruit. Now, I call Easter a time of commitment because many of the ways in which we go therefore and make disciples of all nations might naturally commence at another time. Think about it. For example, to teach others in the faith through your parish, 
you might assist or you might lead a facet of your parish's faith formation ministry, something like RCIA or confirmation or marriage prep, something like that. But many of those regular ministries follow an academic year calendar, don't they? So what can you do in Easter? I suppose you can take the step of making a firm commitment to contribute during the next academic year. Then spend the time in the summer preparing for this ministry through your own study, your own prayer, your own practice. That doesn't mean, of course, that a commitment in Easter might not be more immediate. It may, in fact, be more immediate. What could you do right now in Easter? You could initiate a Bible study in your home, or you could gather friends and neighbors, whether parishioners or not, Catholics or not, gather them into your home regularly for a time of prayer and conversation. Strangely, opening your home is a bold way of going out with Easter joy. And acting with Easter joy doesn't necessitate that we feel that joy or become flushed with belief beforehand. Lastly then, here in this first section, commit to being an Easter witness personally. You know, each of those 11 disciples to whom Jesus entrusted the Great Commission went out to share how they had been changed by the Lord. That includes the ones Matthew had in mind when he wrote, but some doubted. Matthew himself may have been one of the doubters. And yet there, in chapter 9 of his own gospel, Matthew writes of how Jesus called him while he was still a sinner. Likewise, in Luke's gospel, the evangelist recalls how Jesus commanded the now-healed Gerasene demoniac to return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. To that, Luke adds this, And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. The response to Christ's mercy is proclaiming gratitude in the stories we tell. And it just so happens that sometimes the movement from doubt to joy in yourself goes through sharing good news with others. So this is the first way to fulfill our Easter mission, following the Gospel of Matthew. It is to proclaim and teach. Friends, this is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today from the McGrath Institute for Church Life. This is a special episode dedicated to claiming the mission of Easter joy. And what I'm doing is offering one way to claim that mission from each of the four Gospels. That brings us to the second way of claiming the mission of Easter, and it comes from the Gospel of Mark. You give them something to eat. The multiplication of the loaves and fishes appears in each gospel with two separate narratives in each of Mark and Matthew. Now, the focus ultimately falls upon Jesus' action where he takes little and provides for many, whether that is 5,000 or 4,000 men, not counting women and children. Even more, when all ate and were satisfied, there were baskets full of leftovers. When the Lord feeds, he feeds in abundance. But, you know, in our haste to marvel at Jesus' miraculous deed, we might have missed the unheeded commandment he first issued to his disciples. Noticing the late hour and how the lonely place where they are provides no sustenance, the disciples 
asked Jesus to send the people away so the people could find something to eat. And Jesus responds with his characteristic directness. You give them something to eat. That's Mark 6, verse 37. You give them something to eat. Now, the disciples are dumbfounded. They don't even know where to begin. They're in a lonely place. You know, this event occurs, of course, during Jesus' earthly ministry. It is not a resurrection appearance narrative, nor is it an account from the early church as we might find, say, in the Acts of the Apostles or one of the epistles. But the command of Jesus for the disciples themselves to give them something to eat is, I want to say, no less an Easter mission. Jesus does for that crowd of 5,000 what his disciples will not or perhaps cannot do then. And yet, when he is risen from the dead and sends these disciples forth as his missionary disciples, they must do what they did not do before in that lonely place. Consider with me the last line of the Gospel of Mark. It goes like this. And they went forth and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by the signs that attended it. Amen. The ones who go forth are the same disciples who were with Jesus in the lonely place. And now they go everywhere to preach the good news of Christ's resurrection. The confirmation of their message is the deeds they perform. Jesus now works in them and with them to do for others what he once did in their midst. That means that these missionaries' disciples now fulfill the command he gave them earlier. You give them something to eat. That is the mission of Easter. For us today, you give them something to eat. Whom does Jesus mean by them? He means whoever is hungry, especially the ones who are in a lonely place. Those lonely places are just as likely the kitchens of overworked and underpaid single parents as they are the downtown street corners and tent encampments. Easter may very well be the acceptable time to volunteer at a food pantry, a homeless shelter, a soup kitchen, but I think there is more to this missionary command than what is entailed in the worthy participation in another organization. Perhaps this command is even more direct than that at times, as though Jesus is telling us to go directly to those who hunger. What does that look like? Well, here's what it means, I think. It means when you see hunger, feed the ones who are hungry directly, right then and there if possible. And it means to go in search of those who are hungry and be ready to serve them when you find them. The lonely places are where people are isolated by poverty, by neglect, or even by bad habits. The lonely places are often very close to us. Some of us find ourselves in a lonely place. We find ourselves there, feeling great disconnection. 
taking the chance to spend time, quality time, open time, concentrated time with those who are lonely, starved, sometimes for food, and sometimes for companionship, heals all of us. You know, I wonder if Jesus wanted his disciples to feed the others directly so that the disciples, too, could experience the joy of that kind of communion. The recipe here, I think, is rather simple. See hunger, prepare food, go feed. It takes a bit of time, a bit of money, a bit of effort, and the eventual danger is that it will become a regular commitment. But it may also be the closest thing to responding directly to the command Jesus gave his disciples. After spending considerable amounts of time intentionally avoiding each other during a global pandemic, as we go toward each other once again, we ought to go toward those who are hungry to give them something to eat. This same mission applies, I think, to all the works of mercy. Visit the sick, whether in hospitals or in homes, directly. Visit the imprisoned, whether in prison or through letters, directly. Clothe the naked, directly. You know, it's one thing to give old clothes to goodwill, and it's a good thing at that. But it's quite another to befriend a person whose needs are not being met, to learn about what he or she needs and what he or she likes, and then provide for those needs to the best of your ability, even to the point of sacrificing your own comfort then do that monthly. For our parishes, this might look like small groups of parishioners banding together to engage in works of mercy together. The first thought will likely be to find some other organization through which to volunteer. But what if our parishes became hubs of missionary activity that did not always require yet another step before engaging with the needs of the needy? Through individual disciples, families of disciples, and missionary parishes, the joy of Easter may be confirmed in the signs of charity Jesus commands and empowers us to perform directly. This is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today from the McGrath Institute for Church Life. This is a special episode dedicated to claiming the mission of Easter joy And what I'm doing is offering one way to claim that mission from each of the four Gospels. We've come then to our third way of claiming the mission of Easter. It's from the Gospel of Luke. Build cathedrals in time. The Gospel of Luke concludes like this. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Having spent 40 days in the presence of the risen Lord, the disciples' response to his ascension is to turn their joy into worship and enter repeatedly into the temple to bless God. As we know, of course, their mission is not to remain in the temple, but rather to go out from the temple to proclaim and to heal. In Luke's gospel, this commissioning occurs with Pentecost some days later. When the disciples receive their mission, 
this habit of prayer and worship is not nullified. What remains constant is the discipline of prayer, while what changes is the manner of their prayer. As they live the way of Jesus, they take the temple discipline with them wherever they go, marking each day by periods of prayer. These Christians built their first cathedrals not out of bricks, but out of time. You know, the four pillars of the earliest Christian community are enumerated immediately after the Pentecost episode in the Acts of the Apostles. Here's what St. Luke writes. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles and to the communal life, to the breaking of the bread and to the prayers. As we read on in the Acts of the Apostles, then, we see again and again how the fourth pillar of the community, the devotion to prayers, is associated with specific times of day. Here are some examples. From chapter 9, I'm sorry, chapter 10, verse 9 of the Acts of the Apostles. Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Or chapter 3, verse 1. Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Chapter 16, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And even back in chapter 2, verse 15, when we hear about Peter's Pentecost sermon, that sermon is marked by the time of day. As it reads, it is only the third hour of the day, someone said. Following the pattern of the apostles and the earliest Christians, the church developed the liturgy of the hours to arrange the time of each day according to the periods of prayer. That initial Easter response to offer worship and gather in the temple to bless God became, in the practice of the church, the regular rhythm of prayer that offers time itself in a liturgy. So dedication to the liturgy of the hours is, I think, therefore, an Easter action, one that emerges from the joy of Christ's resurrection. The easiest way to begin cultivating the habit of praying the hours is probably with the use of that book, Shorter Christian Prayer. Maybe you've seen it. It provides morning and evening prayer for the four-week cycle of hours. Then, as you know, one step up from that is Christian prayer, which includes additional prayers appropriate to specific liturgical seasons. And then the full complement of prayers in the Liturgy of the Hours is available in a four-book set. Now, I imagine many of you already pray the Liturgy of the Hours or you're familiar with it. So for you, the response to Easter might mean inviting others into this prayer and teaching others how to pray. At the university where I work, I noticed at one point a group of undergraduate students who gathered every morning at 8.30 a.m. in one of our campus chapels to pray morning prayer from the Liturgy of the Hours. They did it together. 8.30 a.m. That is the crack of dawn for college students. Perhaps, I don't know, maybe they gathered in the evenings too, but I did see them regularly in the mornings. I think these small communities of regular prayer are like cenacles of communion in the midst of an otherwise hectic world of disordered time. They are observing disciples like this who gather together. They're observing the discipline of prayer together. And I think that's a way of building cathedrals in time.
That's the third way following Luke's gospel, which brings us at last to this fourth way of claiming the mission of Easter. From the Gospel of John, become an instrument of peace. The way the world gives peace is either through conquest or at best compromise. But the way the Lord gives peace is through his own sacrifice. That is the gift Jesus gives his disciples. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Do I give it to you? Christ's peace is not mere words or wispy sentiment. He suffers for his peace. He gives everything to create this peace. And when he appears to his fearful disciples huddled in the upper room on the third day, the first thing he says to them is, Peace be with you. John chapter 20 verse 19. Jesus shows them his wounds, which others have inflicted upon him and for which these disciples bear some responsibility themselves. But Jesus does not accuse them from these wounds, nor does he call a truce. Instead, from these wounds, he creates peace. He gives them new life. Again, after showing them the wounds, he says, peace be with you. And then, to complete this gift of peace, he gives his disciples what his Father gave him, a mission. As the Father has sent me, even so I send you. He breathes on them the Holy Spirit and sends them out to forgive the sins of others. This is the Easter gift and the Easter mission all in one. The gift is to receive Christ's peace, and the mission is to share in Christ's own mission. His mission requires sacrifice because he creates peace at his own expense, with his body, with his blood. For those of us called to share in his mission, that is, for every Christian, the work of forgiveness and reconciliation is done through us. Christians suffer in Christ to give the gift of peace. It is his gift given through us. Where does this sacrifice take place? You know, sometimes I think it happens very close to home. To suffer to give peace might very well mean taking the first step in apologizing to a family member or initiating a conciliatory conversation between two estranged family members. Actions like that are always hard and always awkward. They all come at the expense of the one who makes the first move. But that's what we Christians are called to be, people who make the first move, to offer Christ peace. You know, communities and workplaces and schools are often pulled apart by rival factions. Many of those rivalries, they just simmer right beneath the surface where envy and suspicion lurk. In situations such as these, the hard and risky thing is to do something that serves your rival's interests rather than your own. 
this may very well end up coming at your expense as your rival takes advantage of your goodwill or instead does not even acknowledge your act. Christians sacrifice such loss. I think especially now when war rages in parts of the world, when distrust of authority runs rampant, when we are pulled apart more and more into political tribes and ideological camps, the practice of reconciliation serves the mission of Christ to foster the common good. What would it mean to refrain from demonizing those who oppose your views? What would it mean to create a different way of speaking in an environment where sound bites and social media posts are often laced with negativity? What would it mean to become an instrument of peace in a time such as this? These are the kinds of questions that require missionary creativity from each one of us, the sort of creativity that Pope Francis calls for that St. Francis of Assisi exercised. This is the creativity of Christians who are empowered by and committed to the good news of Jesus Christ, who suffered, died, and is now risen. Amen. Alleluia. Happy Easter. Church Life Today is a production of Spoke Street Media and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com. Ave Maria Press has been publishing Catholic books and resources for more than 150 years, and they are located right on the north side of the Notre Dame campus. Visit AveMariaPress.com for a wide selection of spirituality books, classic Catholic literature, and even books for families. You can also find podcasts and free downloadable Catholic content. Visit AveMariaPress.com and receive 25% off your order with code REDEEMER. Ave Maria Press, helping people to know, love, and serve God.